Welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. It's the Monday after the opening day of the WSL season. I'm joined by Jesse Parker Humphreys and making his Counterpress debut from our good friends over at Stadio HQ. It's Musa Kwonga. Musa, I'm so happy to have you on finally on Counterpress. A delight. Listen, listen, I made it. The promised land. <laughs> the been, sun at Uplands. The been, sun at Uplands. <laughs> the promotion <laughs> has come through. <laughs> we've been waiting so long because we just need your wisdom. We need your energy. And we need your, obviously, just piping hot takes on what was a suitably chaotic opening day of the <laughs> WSL season. It was lots of fun, I think, in general. It was lots of fun. I can definitely give you the... The piping hot takes. Not sure about the energy or the wisdom in my advanced years. <laughs> Jesse, you bumbled into Spotify HQ today saying you were feeling exhausted from day one of the season. I just feel like I'd forgotten how ridiculous it is to sort of try and watch Everything. six games in in one day. And I mean, mm. I didn't. I did see Sophie Lawson did a full, you know, sort of sat at home and watched them all on. Ah, multi I didn't do that. I right. obviously. Watched United Villa, went to Arsenal, went to Chelsea and then filled in all my gaps last night. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, gosh, coming up with opinions on all of it. I'm I tired. I know, it's tired using that old brain of yours. Yeah. It's pretty exhausting. <laughs> um, Musa, we were obviously enjoying the the sweet, sweet goodies of the Emirates yesterday mm. and we're going to get into Arsenal's defeat to Liverpool shortly. But overall, what was your kind of energy and feeling from the opening day of the WSL season. Do you feel like this year felt different as someone who obviously like doesn't get to as much women's games as we do and yeah. watches them, but you spend the most of your time in Berlin. So like you have a different cultural experience to us when it comes to like domestic English women's football. But did you feel a different energy yesterday post-World Cup? I'll start with the cliche. You know, when you have these big sporting tournaments, like football matches, Group stages of any major tournament, any, you know, World Cup, Euros, you just have to start with a win. It sounds super obvious, but there's so many things you haven't ironed out in pre-season and you can try, like you can practice in pre-season, but you never quite know what it's going to play out until you get into the regular season. And you saw, you know, even in the Spanish, over in the, the Primera, you saw um, with Barcelona beating Quelva narrowly 2-1. People are a bit punch drunk. And if you come out early, if you're like a smaller team, well, a team of fewer resources like a Villa or um, or a Huelva in Barcelona's case, and you come out aggressive and disrespectful, you can really surprise people. And we saw that. I think if there's any kind of trend, the opening games, it was teams basically coming out with aggressive disrespect. Villa came at them. Spurs were, were, were superb at certain points against Chelsea, didn't let them walk with it. And Liverpool obviously came to the Emirates in front of this, you know, this record crowd and came at them. And I think... If there's any sort of trend you can see from the games that I, I had a chance to watch, it was the teams that came out expecting the big blows were the ones that won. And I don't think Arsenal were expecting Liverpool to basically act like quicksand. I don't think they were quite ready for what Liverpool gave them. And that's why they went down. So yeah, that's what I took from the, the opening week. So obviously today we're going to talk about that result at the Emirates. We're also going to talk about Chelsea's win at Stamford Bridge over Spurs and the hectic madness of Aston Villa, Manchester United, and also get into some really good listener questions. We had tons of questions last night, so thanks for sending those in. So let's get cracking after this. So yes, Arsenal lost 
1-0 to Liverpool at the Emirates. I had to go back through the wikis to find the last time Arsenal didn't win their opening game of the WSL season, which was back in 2017. They drew the opener, uh, so that's not even a, a defeat, but the last time they didn't win the opening game. This is not a result befitting of an Arsenal team that has to focus on the WSL this season because they're not in the Champions mm. League. Made some big signings over the summer, mainly Alessio mm. Russo is obviously like the star impact player. For me, what was most disappointing and certainly where, you know, the whispers around where we were sitting, Musa, was was the same, was just the overall plan mm. and style of play that Arsenal came with for this opener in front of such a big crowd. Like, it didn't give me excitement. It didn't give me, uh, you know, this is going to be a positive season. It was so basic and pedestrian. Right. And you know, getting the ball out to the wings constantly, putting really poor crosses on crosses in. There was no central play. Mm. And I know Matt Beard spoke afterwards about how he he tried to limit Arsenal in central areas. But at the same time, I think Arsenal were trying to force something that wasn't there. And I think when yes. we saw a brief cameo of Cena Blackstenius and we saw, obviously, she prefers to run in behind and we saw Arsenal try and force that, I think we saw a bit more of what might have been and I was disappointed in the way that they're playing with Alessia Russo, which she's obviously a huge threat in the air, but playing this as this kind of static number nine who they just want to stick a ball in and expect a really good touch and finish, which we know she can do, but that's a lot of expectations and that's hard to do. And I think right. Liverpool pinned her really well. Grace Fisk looked really good yesterday. And I just thought, when you've got Kim Little, Leah mm. Volti. Yeah. You know, you've got uh, Freedom Arnhem, good players in central areas. Yes. You can make it work even if Liverpool are trying to limit you. I think you it's can strange, stretch yeah, the play. Yeah. And it was so frustrating to just see endless crosses. 19 corners from Arsenal in that game. Oh my God, never want to see a corner again. Um, eight successful crosses, which was 20% of their crosses. So, yeah, I mean, it was a long old afternoon for many reasons and just a bit disappointing. This is straight. No, the great summary. And I think, look, first of all, the caveat of the injuries that Arsenal have, we have to talk about those. Um, Mead, Miedemar, Williamson, long-term absentees. But at the same time, even the selection, I was slightly surprised with that kind of configuration not to have Plexdenius starting. Um, and I also think if aerial strength is something for Russo, then it's amazing how few of those crosses actually connected. That was extremely strange. So you have these high balls being whipped in, um, a lot of them to the near post, but you're not having aggressive movement to the near post. Also, not many cutbacks. There was one very early on, I think from Frieda Marnham, she cut one back in the first like five minutes. Then we didn't really see that again. And ironically enough, um, Liverpool's decisive goal came from a cutback like that. So Liverpool basically took Arsenal's blueprint and ran with it. And the weird thing was, they were also, Arsenal also giving Liverpool everything they wanted. And this is the thing, you know, we've seen a lot of you know, tactical trends of teams are afraid of a counterattack through the middle of the pitch. So they have these box midfields and they basically compress everything. Arsenal almost had the worst of all worlds. It was like a bedsheet that doesn't cover the head or the feet. So, you know, you had like Arsenal going compact to stop the counter, but then Kim Little was so deep at one point. I'm like, why is she playing as a six? Because whenever she got forward, I think on two occasions in the entire match, she got forward and she looked dangerous. Yeah. I cannot remember a single direct free kick that was won in a central area 20, 20 yards from goal. And 
they have the dribblers arsenal to like if you've got a team like that with those dribblers jesse you flood the central areas and you run at them aggressively you run at the center backs and you basically go listen in the first half let's try and draw one or two yellow cards you know 30 yards from goal 20 yards from goal and we saw none of that and i, I was talking to like um Flo and some of the others yesterday saying, I couldn't tell you what Arsenal's best passing combination is between their midfielders in this in this setup. Because I didn't see a single one-two, I didn't see a single runner off the ball, I didn't see a single late run into the box with like a decoy runner from the wings. I didn't see any of that. So I was extremely confused. It felt like almost Arsenal set up their tactics to be reactive to Liverpool instead of imposing themselves on the game from the very beginning. It was extremely strange. Yeah, and I think also that gap that sort of formed between Volti and Little and then Mornham made it very hard for them to progress the ball through those central areas. And I think right. Arsenal looked at their best when Little was able to, to go forward with the ball. And there were some like mm. really nice moments from her, but she just couldn't find that um, that opportunity sort of consistently enough. But I also just felt like Arsenal in some ways seemed, I don't know whether it was nerves or whether this was just their game plan, but, you know, in that first half especially, they had so much of the ball, but they seemed so unwilling to take time on the ball. They were, like, constantly mm. looking to get the ball out and then cross into the area. And it just felt like, obviously, you want to move the ball quickly against mm. a team that's going to really happily sort of sit back in quite a flat back five at points. Although, obviously, Bid did use Taylor Hines as that sort of out ball, you know, her pushing out more in that left wing back role. Mm. But it just felt like having a bit more patience, trying to draw Liverpool's players out. There was one good moment that Arsenal did have where Coivisto gets the press wrong and she jumps up towards Catley and it gives McCabe, you know, whole of the left flank to run down. And it just felt mm. like there wasn't enough moments to force Liverpool into those errors. That being said, I thought Liverpool's back three played extremely, extremely well. Yeah. Grace Fisk, Jem Bonner and Jenna Clark, I thought all three of them had had really exceptional games at points. But yeah, it just felt so predictable from Arsenal. And I think also what was concerning was that, you know, the first half I felt like, okay, it was a bit predictable, but, you know, it is the first day of the season. Sometimes you've just got to get through these games and try and find the win no matter what. But there was no ability, it felt like, to up the intensity and once mm. Liverpool scored, it almost felt like Arsenal just kind of, instead of being like, okay, this is our, our second plan, you know, this is who we're bringing on, this is how we take it to the next level. It almost felt like they collapsed even further in on themselves and went even more into this sort of just get Katie McCabe to cross it in plan. Yes, no, of course, of course, the default. You know, there was a more, you mentioned Coivisto, that was interesting because there was a warning sign about uh, maybe 10, 15 minutes into the game where Laws plays it out and the transition, the speed of the Liverpool transition was genuinely like startling. You know, it was like when there's automatics on the motorway and they have this incredible acceleration, like 0 to 60 in like, what, like three seconds. Laws out to Covisto and then the ball was basically in the Arsenal final third within about five seconds. And I thought, my God, like these people are like, it was the Cobra approach, like they're sitting and waiting, they're drawing Arsenal in and the speed they could break. And that almost foreshadowed the winner, basically, that, that move down the flank. And, you know, in terms of Arsenal being out of ideas, you're completely right because Liverpool acted so effectively as a shock absorber in that first half that Arsenal threw everything. Well, they didn't throw that much, but they threw, they were very busy, right? They were very well, industrious Gen in and around. Gen Musa was the right. backup plan. <laughs> the only time I thought, let's yeah. try and send Gen Beattie up there because we're playing 
800 crosses a minute into the box so surely she'll get and to be fair to, to him that it. does normally work so i can it's the, it's the blueprint i find it a bit embarrassing that he carries on doing it but then you think you're like well she does normally score from there so i would probably carry but on I, doing it I, too i completely agree i think it was the um it was the feeling that we could have been there for another three hours musa and i wasn't yes. going to see an arsenal goal i have a hot take for you actually i think this arsenal team would have really struggled in the champions league well clearly because they couldn't even beat paris <laughs> well no but, but i think it's a blessing because that mm. the paris defeat i think people will look at it jesse and be like oh it was a one-off it was a single game with two legs we'd have gone through and actually but i don't think that I think that's the case at all. Like, you know, first of all, that Paris team was extremely streetwise and it had a lot of depth. You know, they had experienced internationals there approaching the their career, but also like young legs, um, really good pace and, and, and really streetwise as a team. The Paris team was a lot better, I think, than people, I think, clocked at first. But I think Arsenal, this Arsenal configuration, the way they're playing, I think they would have had a hard time in the Champions League, even if they got through, because if you're setting up with that level of deference, almost reverence for the opposition, like it's... Liverpool didn't win away once last yeah. season and Arsenal right. are playing this back three against them at the Emirates. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think actually this was kind of a... Them being out of the Champions League, this confirmed why they went out in a funny way. And the pressure, I mean, Jess, I don't know how you see it, the, just from someone who observes the game far more closely in that sense, like the pressure on Jonas Eideval at this point like what do they because we know the league is so tight we know that the margin for error is so tight what's the pressure on him at this point Jesse because it feels like it's really accelerating in the last few weeks well yeah I mean if you're an Arsenal fan who wants to be optimistic you point to the fact that Chelsea won their first opening day game in the past four years yesterday mm. and they've won the past four titles so it doesn't have to be something that is this massive body blow. But I think it's clear that people feel like Arsenal don't necessarily or aren't in a position to go on from this and and get up. I don't know if I agree with that because I actually think, you know, some of Arsenal's best moments have come from when you think they've had that knockout blow. And we saw mm. in that Champions League run, what was so impressive was they did get up. But it feels... It, the difference this time around is that Arsenal historically start well and taper off at the end of the season. Last season, they started well, had a middle hard patch, galvanised and still had something to show for it come the end of the season. Starting this badly game, not to that Champions League, and losing a first game with WSL is something pretty unknown to them to be in this position this early. I think everything comes down to this United game on Friday because I think if they beat United away, mm. that will That's be huge. a really, that will feel like a really positive win for them. Understandably, that's a team who finished above them in the league last year, who beat them home and away last year. But if they lose to United and then they go into having Villa come to the Emirates, having lost their opening two games. And listen, we saw, you know, City lost in the first two games last season and everyone was like, that's it. They're done. They're mm. out of the tight race. And actually, it didn't prove like that. That There was a point in February, mm. March, where City were back in the title race. And I think the biggest mistake that Idaval and Arsenal would make would be to sort of write themselves off. And I don't think they're going to do that. But it's hard. Like, they need to find something more. And I think the concern will be you can lose games like this and say, oh, my God, it just wasn't our day. You know, we had... 30 shots and just the keeper played an absolute blinder. But this wasn't that game. There are like clear structural issues yes. in the way this team plays. And I don't know 
if Idaval can fix them. I'm not seeing the chance, Chris. That's the thing. You, you said it perfectly. Like if it was a quality of chances and just, and also it was an outstanding goalkeeping performance as well. But still, if if it was the just quality of chances, the post XG though, Musa was 0. Yeah. 0.3. Wow. 0.3. Because I felt the same. I yeah, thought, I thought she Rachel Laws played a lot of really good saves, well. Yeah. But I think mm. when you kind of look at where those shots were going, I think they were good mm. reaction saves. But I think that kind of tells you about the areas Arsenal were able yes. to put the ball on the goal frame. And this is the problem. That, that is actually now a horrible start to the season. The thing is, Liverpool, obviously, they won the first game of last season. So it wasn't the easiest start, actually. I don't think it was an easy start on paper, funnily enough. Well, in well, reality, Liverpool again the brand of like you know big team slayers on the opening day, but uh, and they've had a decent transfer window, and I think people are expecting them to probably do better than they did last season. But at the same time, at the same time, it's yeah. still a huge shock. And but these I next think... two games are horrible, Flo. They're horrible. It only gets like... worse from here. This was <laughs> yeah. the one. This is the one you have to win of the. You think you should win of the first three, in my opinion. But I think it's very interesting because we were saying before we came to record that maybe it's three games that will define Adavel's future here, and that Villa game is the instrumental one. But mm. Gareth Taylor not only rode the wave last season, losing those first two, but the previous season where City had their worst ever start to a WSL season, the famous handball at a CFA and stuff like that. That was a, a record low points total for them. He stayed, they rode the wave, they ended up getting third, not getting through in the Champions League qualification, but they still came through. But I think because of the way Arsenal are right now, the, the, the sort of brand and the ambition that every mm. time is shown in the transfer window and securing Alessia Russo and kind of like putting your marker down really not having anything to show for it apart from a Conti Cup since Eidvall came in. I think personally I would say your time's kind of up. And I think when if you're if you lose the first three games, I think there's also still time to try and rescue things and still make the most of the season, because we've seen that in the past where teams have done that and rallied to finish third. Um which, you know, Arsenal can do as well. But I think this is like seriously like down bad I think the unluckiness that that Jonas Idevel rode through last season where there were games like the West Ham game where they were having tons of shots and Idevel was mm. saying like our time will come we're just not being clinical but it's okay because we're scoring lots against other teams this feels different because it's like the performances and the play and the opportunities yeah. are so bad like why do, I don't understand why they were playing the way that they did yesterday. That is what was so baffling. It's like, you've actually got the tools here to not mm. do this, right. but you are wanting to do something that is so one-dimensional, you know, forcing Chloe Lacasse to drop so deep in this kind of like win-back role that she's not even getting the opportunities to kind of do what she can do. Mm. Um, Lacasse is the last player, honestly, one of the last players I'd have thought to put a right wing back. What was it's baffling? Just in terms of like everything we've seen from her is where she's really dangerous is when she's receiving the ball high up the pitch and she can go at a defender and cut. In. Why are you making her defend? I, I was. So, <laughs> I don't know whether he thought Liverpool would come out more and she would have the space to run in from that right wing back position, mm. but Victoria Pulova destroyed England from right wing back mm. just a week before. And that felt like a much 
more obvious choice. And then also as the game went on, it was like Caitlin Ford was playing there and then Lena Hurtig would randomly be in the middle. I think that was it. It just felt like also that, and again, I think this comes back to the plan B thing. Mm. I didn't understand with the substitutes as they came on. Yes. Where this was meant to be going. All the substitutions felt like, let's give them a run out in front of the Emirates home crowd rather than this is strategic thinking. Because every single time I was like, what are they doing? To be you fair, know, Lena Hurtig was really good when she came it's on. It's the best, so. the fastest give, I've seen her run for Gotta give Lena some credit. In an Arsenal shirt. But it's it does feel like there's no sort of follow through. It's just like, let's send these people on and see if they can pull something out of nothing. It's just so frustrating because I think, and that's why it'd be interesting to see if a, if a different manager did come in, what they could do with it. But it it does feel like you had the injuries before as a reason mm. to say, well, we can't do what we want to do because we haven't got these players to do it. But arguably right now, you look at that bench that Jonas Eidevel had at his disposal yesterday and you think, that's a bench that could come on and change your game. There's enough there to to solve your problem and yet they they're like he he can't do it it's not happening Jesse nailed it talking about the structural aspects where I didn't see Arsenal setting any traps for for Liverpool it's no no quick switches across the pitch I saw none of that it was just really you know no no sort of crowd overcrowding one flank none of that I mean Taylor Hines obviously very competent in isolation place so then you just over you overcrowd that side if you know that someone's really comfortable receiving possession then you give them multiple problems to deal with and I just never really saw Liverpool players with matchups that challenged them I never saw players who were slightly lacking in pace being exposed for that it was really Liverpool looked so comfortable Musa and like, they, we they, have they got to, they got they wanted yeah they got what they wanted we have to their defensive performance and I think Gemma Bonner, that's the best I've seen her play in a, a very long time. There were some fantastic tackles going yes. in. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. I loved yeah. Tash Flint just kind of, kind of coming on to like rough. Oh, everyone she's up. a bulldozer. Though. I don't know how she didn't get. <laughs> I don't. I don't she know if she booked. did get. Yeah. I, I don't, don't think, think she, she did. did but no. I was like, wow. She's just been told to make as many tackles as she can until she gets booked. I thought Mia Enderby when she came on as well caused Arsenal some real problems and just offered that like out ball it just felt like Liverpool got exactly what they wanted to do and mm. it required it did require a lot of concentration because Arsenal had a lot of the ball and they didn't you know on another day maybe the keeper makes an error or one of the defenders like doesn't get tight to their player but I just thought yeah everything was just done to perfection and it's credit to Matt Beard yeah and you Absolutely. look at the defensive organization and structure of Liverpool compared to Arsenal it was you know it was couldn't have been opposite. There was so much combination. They were so rigid and everyone understood their roles and the movement was so perfect. And obviously Arsenal could have put them under more pressure. Like we spent a lot of time talking about how poor Arsenal were in attack and around the box. Like that's definitely the worst I've seen them play in in, in the final third in a very long time. But the <laughs> fact... Really? I feel like it's the worst I've seen them play since I watched them play last. <laughs> oh my God. No, oh I still God. I still feel like this is, this is the you worst this I've seen. I think this is extra bad. I think this is like seriously like seriously bad in and around the box. I think the thing that's interesting when you're talking about also Liverpool's defensive structure is to then reflect on how much was Arsenal being poor going forward a result of them not trusting their own defensive structure? Like how much is that choice to sort of play the oh, okay. three to, you know, sort of be well, using Lotter and Jembiti who aren't necessarily like 
progressive centre-back options, I would say, compared to, you know, having Kadina and Ehlerstedt on the bench. I'm not... That's really interesting. I I understand why you don't necessarily want to start your new players in first games of the season. That's totally normal. But I just felt like it actually goes all the way up the pitch. The Paris defeat is rent-free, you know. Mm. (laughs) Russo, we we spoke about this yesterday, though, because you you were saying that it screamed Arsenal's setup, and this kind of follows up of what you were saying, Jesse, about not trusting your defences. Arsenal's setup and the way they're playing screamed, we're worried about getting done on the counter-attack. And this is why we are having to sort of cover our backs because we're worried that this is the way that we're going to lose the game. In fact, it didn't really work out that way anyway. But it's like if you're setting up trying to cover your biggest weakness, then it's like, how are you going to manage this game? And I think they were. I think it couldn't have been more opposite to what we see from other teams who want to start on the front foot. It's like everything is about... It's, it's too negative. Because I think so much is at stake, Jesse and, and Flo. They they put the cart before the horse. This is the problem that is, this is a problem like almost unique to the women's game, right? You're, you've got to build, you're building the infrastructure and everyone's getting into it. And it's so much about like building the game, building. And that's even, even now to the point where, put it, how do I explain it? Bless. There was a moment in the game where Zinsberger looks up and there was an announcement in the stadium about the record crowd. And Zinsberger looks up and acknowledges it and claps the whole, like, you're so conscious, even as a player, in the middle of a really big game, that you're building something while the actual spectacle's taking place. And the pressure for Arsenal to qualify for the Champions League is because Arsenal know that they have to take advantage of this incredible momentum to get into Champions League and build it and build it. And it's not just, you're not just like winning games, you're like creating infrastructure and getting new investment. That creates an abnormal amount of pressure. So then Arsenal lose this game to a very good Paris team, a Paris team that are going to cause more problems in the Champions League. They're going to get amongst people, I think, in quite interesting ways. They lose this game and then all of a sudden it's crisis mode. It is crisis mode because then Arsenal are thinking, okay, God, like, okay, that's gone. Got to win the WSL, got into the Champions League, got to keep building, got to keep building. And then this team comes out and this team is a psychological reaction to the Paris result. Like, you know, when um, Chelsea went out to Wolfsburg that time, and I think people didn't quite know how good Wolfsburg were in the Champions League and they got cooked on the counter. And you could see that psychologically that affected Chelsea for the next few weeks. And it was really rocky for a while because Emma Hayes all of a sudden was like, no, we'd, we'd budgeted for getting through. I think this is a similar moment for Arsenal. That tactics board, I looked at that lineup and I was like, this screams crisis mode. And Idaval is like a confident guy. Like he will front up pretty well. Like he's a pretty like, he says a lot, but actually what's interesting is what he doesn't say. Um, and I feel like you look at the Chelsea squad, they're stacked. They're absolutely stacked. You look at the City squad, the firepower in that City squad is frightening. Like it is absolutely, that to me is the best attacking configuration in the in the WSL and it should do damage like in, in, in Europe this year. I just think, it just said crisis to me, actually, unfortunately, uh, Flo and Jesse, and I think that's how it played out. I feel like Jonas Alva doesn't front up enough. Um, and I think so much of yesterday was about the fans and about saying, you know, you you have to stick with us. We're going to have to dig deep and blah, blah, blah. But I think at the end of the day, you still have to, create a brand of football and play football that is going to entertain people because as much as they've absolutely nailed the narrative and the story of supporting Arsenal women and bringing those fans in, like if you don't win games and you bore people to death like the Emirates yesterday, people aren't going to come back. And I think that is the important thing to acknowledge as much. You know, so much of the narrative yesterday was like, 
about the fans and I but think, I think you've also got to not overthink that stuff. And maybe that, like... That's what I mean, it's I, too I much. Think, but I don't think... I don't know. Jonas doesn't seem like the kind of person who's, like, actually worried about that. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, he'll have gone into that game wanting to win because he knew... And I don't think the number of people there affects that. Mm. You can't go into a game... Well, you shouldn't be going into a game being like, oh, we've got to play in this certain way to impress the people who are there. That's... No, no, I don't think he's focusing on that. But what I mean is... I don't think he fronts up enough because I think he uses that narrative as the narrative to go for when it's like, you have to take the L sometimes. Like talking about the fans, all of the narrative yesterday is covering up like the issues at, at play. Oh, that, okay, I see that. Yeah. I know a lot, this is what managers do, but I think mm. I want Yoris Alaval to front up more, Musa. And I think yesterday there was so much focus on, uh, we'll be back for the fans, we'll be back for the fans. And social media was all about, you know, like stick with us guys. It's like, that you can't be having that narrative day one of the season. And I think yeah, at the same yeah. time, while yeah. the narrative is strong and they've nailed it, I also do think like Arsenal have to play well and like, focus on also playing good football because that is also what's going to bring France back as much yeah, as like the narrative and, and the story I, yeah. arc is good. So I think it's both. I think I hate the use of the kind of that as like a distraction technique in a way or like a cover up. Do you know what I mean, it's like just, I just want people to take the L a bit sometimes a little bit more. And I think Jonas Adeval has shied away from doing that because there's a lot of other things you can point to. And I think yesterday the fans became it because it was a, te- a record crowd. But like, also those fans want to watch good football and it was boring. So if you're going to focus on the fans, also be like, damn, that was crap. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In the few games I've managed to see him at work, Jonas Eideval, I feel like that is a job with a lot of pressure. It's a huge deal. Arsenal's fan base is, you know, exceptional and it's a flagship fan base in many ways. And I look at him and I consistently feel like he's like a brilliant coach, but I don't know if he's like a primary coach because I feel like he's someone that needs, there's a lot of people saying no to some of that stuff. Each time I've seen like these sort of huge matches, and I, look, I was at the Champions League uh, run and I, I thought he did a brilliant job, you know, getting all these um, players through after all these injuries. And he was really unlucky in that sense. Don't, I get that. I just feel like over the course of a league season, there are just choices that he makes, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I think I think Musa. I think yeah. he's a good manager, but he's not a good coach. I think that's he's, where he comes very, undone. Yeah. I think I he's, a, I he's be, clearly yeah. good motivating players. He's clearly good at building this mentality and this group ethos that's so positive, and and, and that's delivered a lot. But I think he's undone as a coach constantly, and I think he doesn't have enough of that ability to win games. And I think, I'm like, like I say, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I just want to say, I hope I'm wrong about all of this. <laughs> Just to, just to caveat that. Um, I, uh, but we, we, we have to move on because we've literally spoken so much about Arsenal. But I do also think it was interesting to actually hear some boos at full time. Not a, not a lot, but some mm. boos from a section of the Emirates. Obviously fans making it clear that that is not good enough. And that's, I'm not saying I want to see people boo loads, but I also mm. think that's important because I think Arsenal did get too caught up in like this narrative they've created with the Emirates, which is commendable and amazing but that's why I'm like let's also focus on the football and I I'm like <laughs> this sounds so funny like little hooligan but I'm proud of the people that booed because I'm like oh, that is a boo worthy performance that is a boo worthy result 
And I think that has to be... You can't boo on the first day of the season. Yes, you can. You can boo on the first... I'm with Jesse here. Sorry, you can boo on the first day of the season. I'm sorry, I would be booing. I would be booing on the first day of the season. I'm with Jesse here. I would just uh, yeah, maybe I'm being kind. Before you, you have to kick me out. Um, just to say, also shout out to Liverpool's fan base, which was exceptional and grew. They, they seemed to draw energy. Crowd. They were so they good. They drew energy from the rest of the yeah, yeah. from the negativity. Yeah. That was really <laughs> good. That, that's definitely yeah. one of the best um, away crowds I think I've seen at the Emirates. I don't yeah, know whether it's because I moved at half time to be in the front row and they were like directly in my eye line. Yeah, but. and I also appreciate like that is a massive result for Liverpool, and I think they should be able to celebrate it as such. Like Rachel Laws had a good game. She was like absolutely exhausted at the end of it and all of them were and they celebrated hard and why not like you were one away at the Emirates that's a massive achievement so like lean into it anyway Musa we've got to let you go because we could be here all day chat thanks well, th- thank you for allowing me on um, well, thanks for your uh, it's been a real pleasure keep up the great work as well can takes. I say you did an amazing job to the World Cup as well um, I was going back and listening through some of that stuff the Malala thing in particular highlight I mean that was yeah, wild. Just great, yeah, great, still, great, great. still amazed we did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, great work, gang. Hope to catch you again um, soon enough. And uh, in the meantime, yeah, all the best with everything. And see you soon. All right. Thanks, my friend. See you soon. Take care. Jesse, you did the double header. You went to the bridge yesterday. Oh, my God. When they put up 10 minutes at a time at the Arsenal game, I was like, fuck's sake <laughs> um also because i went to sit in the front row because my brother had a spare seat next to him i then suddenly realized that everyone was obviously going to do the thing where they crowd at the oh, front oh yeah so i put myself in the worst position to get out of the emirates good thing about the emirates though in a lot of places not the bit by the bench because it sticks out a bit there is a massive gap so you can't push forward um, because the barrier stops you, uh, so you can't get to the hoardings. So the side I was on, actually the fans can't move, so you can't get stuck. But oh, unfortunately, no, where stuck. you were, yeah, because by, were you nearish the benches? Yeah. Yeah, that bit, you got like, there's a bit of a gap that everyone does, and they just scream Leah Williamson's name for like 20 minutes. It was just like... Well, they, yeah, yeah I, was, I was just pushing you were past. Out of there. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, teenagers. So, yeah, a very important result for Chelsea, given the um, opening day curse that had... It's lifted. It's lifted. We've passed it on to us. And it's funny because I did not think that they would uh, carry on the curse, but it's still something that had lingered in the back of your mind. Um, You weren't willing to feel confident whatsoever about this match. And to be fair, in moments, Tottenham played pretty well. Martha Thomas, we know that she works... Very hard. Felt like there was some spice there being up against Millie Bright again as well, which I did enjoy. She she is she is such a hard worker and so athletic and so fit. It's just like those moments where you need her to have the finish. And she had so many of those moments yesterday. It eludes her. And it's just so frustrating to watch as a player. But I still think, you know, she she gives a lot to a team in mentality and energy and intensity. But um Overall, I think even though there were some rocky moments that Chelsea had to ride and obviously Spurs get that goal back, I think uh, Arsenal totally didn't have in uh, link-up play and, uh, you know, how well and how fluid Chelsea were in attack. It was just really exciting to watch. And the relationship that's already been built between Lauren James and Mia Fischel's very exciting. Yeah, definitely. I thought... It felt like a game whereby Chelsea 
seemed like they knew they had another level that they could go to if they wanted to. And we saw that at the start of the, the second half. Obviously, Chelsea went in at halftime 1-0 up. Um, but it felt like when they came out for the second half, they just was like they'd been supersonic, maybe by Emma Hayes uh, in the dressing room. And then sort of after those the first 15 minutes of the second half, they kind of chilled out again. And that's sort of when Tottenham were able to get back into the game, um, ultimately through uh, Zatura Musevic error. But yeah, I thought given how rubbish Chelsea had been on most opening days, the key was just to get the win, especially because it was against Spurs. And I know that's like not a rivalry that's maybe as intense as it is in the men's game, but they're a team who Chelsea have never lost to. You don't want to start your season losing to them. And they're actually a team who've pushed Chelsea quite close at various points over the past couple of seasons. So there's definitely been some kind of nervy away wins for Chelsea against Spurs in the past. And yeah, I think what was promising as well was this feeling that Hayes clearly put out what she felt like was her freshest team in terms of seeing players like Canarid start, for example, Mielda starting at right back rather than like an Ashley Lawrence, uh, who when she came on, she looked great. But I thought lots of players in that system did very well. You know, official obviously making her official debut to get a goal at Stamford Bridge. You know, she's a childhood Chelsea fan. You could see how much that meant to her. That was a great moment. I thought she looked like a like a tiny kid when she celebrated because she's she's pretty young anyway. But her face, she just honestly looked like a baby because she was like, huh, she so really excited. You, it was, it was really, adorable. really nice. You could tell how much it meant to her. Yeah, and I thought Neve Charles had an absolutely incredible, incredible game. Um, Have to caveat, though, she was up against Anne Harrod-Jane's filling it right back. So I think that helped a tad. Yeah, maybe. Even though I think but... Neve Charles was really good, I think Anne Harrod-Jane's right back was... <laughs> an accident way to happen um, yeah I, I thought Charles just did everything well though I felt like you know defensively going forward she obviously gets both assists I've got to shout out Guru Wrighton as well for I only realised this when I watched some of the game back this morning but because the got it looks I'm pretty sure that ball crossed the line before the second goal yeah 100% Wrighton is still celebrating that goal but she carries on playing so she's got her arms <laughs> And she's dribbling the ball away and passes it to Neve to cross in That's for so James then actually to finish off. Yeah, two um, assists but... for Charles in the end. Crosses the first one, crosses the second one. Yeah. Wow, good wing backs. Arsenal, what are you saying? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, she was basically playing... A, I mean, it was kind of a weird system. It did sort of look like a back three in possession, but it felt more like a four to me. Broadly, I think Chelsea just had to go and get the win, and they did. And Sam Kerr and Aaron Cuthbert should be back for next week, which is good. But I think that Frank Kirby back on the pitch. Just lots of positives. I think there is a trend with what you what you said about Chelsea, which is so often with Hayes' team, we see them you watch and you know that there's another level. And mm. they often reach it towards the end of a campaign, which is when they like turn it up a notch. And they have struggled in the past to hit the ground running because if you're not necessarily going to be in Champions League qualification or whatever it is, like it takes a while to sometimes warm up. I think of what we did get to see with the Roma game, which was their only preseason game that was actually shown, right? We, you know, that game was a little bit chaotic, but some some bright moments. I think Fischl looks a lot better uh, even in the few weeks since then than she did in that game. But I do think there's almost this like so many talented players in a system that's so fluid and adaptable it does feel like sometimes Hayes does have to shake them around to be like, guys, you do spend a lot of the season just blowing teams away, but also like, here's a slap around the head because you do need to just like 
punish teams a little bit more because I think in that first half they actually probably didn't create enough good chances when they were playing quite well and had a good amount on the ball as well. Yeah, and I also think some credit is due to Spurs. I thought they looked a lot more robust, especially in midfield, than they have in the past. Obviously, they signed Olga Hinton, who's someone lots of people are very excited about. Um, I thought Grace Clinton looked really, really good. Uh, it's obviously her shot that sort of leads to, to their goal as well. So I think, you know, Spurs were more of a challenge than that Chelsea have found them in the past, definitely. And I'm not sure Chelsea's midfield balance quite worked with Nuskin and Ingle together. I thought Nuskin definitely felt like she was kind of adjusting to playing in not, I don't say more on intense league, but definitely felt like Nuskin was sort of targeted and swarmed by by Spurs midfielders, and and she did have a couple of like nervy turnovers as a result. The big thing when you're talking about Chelsea having that extra level to go to is I feel like the signings this summer have actually created more realistic competition for lots of players within this side, and it definitely felt to me like there were players who wanted to put on a show. Listen, like, I don't think Fischl, for example, is going to be under any illusion that Sam Kerr will probably start when she's fit, but you want to show up and put that, you know, kind of question in in Hayes' mind equally. Neve Charles, obviously, is looking at Eve Perisette and Ashley Lawrence and thinking, OK, where, where do my minutes come from? You know, I think they're the pushes that are making people, making players try and go to that next level. Leupold's, again, a great example of when she came on, felt like she really showed like a much higher level than than maybe some of the other midfielders we saw. So I definitely think there was maybe a sense that some Chelsea players have potentially got a bit complacent in terms of who was in competition with them. And Hayes said on Sky before uh, kickoff that she felt like, you know, Chelsea had been at their maximum last year in terms of being able to win a double. And this was about, you know, almost going up to another level. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see sort of how that competition shakes out across the season. Yeah, the competition for places also feeds into the sort of like magical mystery of Emma Hayes' Chelsea manager because you never quite know who's going to play. Musevich started yesterday, makes the mistake for Spurs' goal. But then she made it. This is it was such a Musevich performance at this moment in time because she made so many good saves, yeah. saves that you wouldn't normally expect her to make, like making the the one v one save, which is definitely something she did this at the World Cup. It's definitely something she's learned from AKB. I think her or the goalkeeping coach. Her form is very very similar. She makes a couple of good long range saves. And then she just has this moment where she does have this tendency when, you know, I think especially with long range saves, she she does tend to palm the ball into the area. And in this, it was like she tried to catch it with her legs. And, yeah, and then she tried, yeah, she tried to sort of claw it with her, with her legs. legs. And then Martha Thomas just kicked it through her legs. It was quite <laughs> embarrassing. Um, but-, but, but what I mean is, is this sort of, as much as they have the competition for places, it's almost like everyone is given a go. There's a sense of disruption to it that I, that makes me nervous. And if I was a Chelsea fan, I would feel very nervous because I'm looking at Musevich starting over AKB, uh, Marin Mielder coming back into starting lineup for the first time in a fairly long time. Well, I mean, she was no, injured. she started through for all the last season, didn't she? Not uh, at, at the end of the last season. I thought Jess Carter was playing a lot of like. Well, all the all the Champions League games, Marin Mielder started. But in the league, it was mainly Jess Carter who was starting on the right-hand side or if they were playing a back three or... Yeah, it, basically me, I just played a lot. Okay, <laughs> like, all right, let me, let me rephrase that. It just, it just, yeah, it just makes me a little bit nervous because there are so many positions that feel interchangeable that it can disrupt this team a little bit. And uh, Musevic starting over AKB, you know, the full-backs that, that Emma Hayes has but didn't use yesterday... 
you know, we didn't see Eve Parasette, you mentioned. Uh, we didn't see Ashley Lawrence until uh, later on. I just kind of am surprised with some of that because I thought that would be like very much part of the plan. Obviously, like Khadija Buchanan has struggled at Chelsea and I think she's not going to get a ton of starting games. But I do. I, I don't know. I was surprised that, that Marin Milder started. I did think, you know, I know you said that Ashley Lawrence might be probably playing on the left this season. But for me, I think there was like obvious opportunities where you're like, oh, Eve Paris or Ashley Lawrence could have come in. And Canarid also like sometimes didn't start a lot of games last season. She started yesterday. There were injuries and in players to come back, but there's still a little bit. I would look to that side lineup and I was like, hmm, okay. When I look at the bench, there are players I expected to start that didn't. And that's still a bit of the like Emma Hayes mystery about it, where she just thinks, you think you know what I'm going to do, but here you go. Like, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I also think Hayes has become a manager who really wants to prioritise her team's availability and her team's fitness. And to me, that's what a lot of the starting lineup suggested. You know, you had players, for example, like Lawrence and Fleming, who went and basically played two full 90s in North America and then flew back across the world. And, you know, we saw Hayes in her pre-match talking about injury concerns and in terms of when players are most vulnerable to, to getting injured. And, you know, she was sort of referencing this like 10 day thing in terms of like after an international break. So I think a lot of the selection yesterday to me felt very fitness influenced because I think Hayes is someone who feels like she will take potentially a risk in terms of not playing first choice players if it means she avoids losing them for sort of three to six months of the season. And I think that's something that she's become, you know, very, very aware of. And that's kind of, Obviously, it does unsettle things in in some ways, but ultimately it probably gives you more benefit in the long run. And also, I think, you know, they're the demands that Hayes puts on her players. It's that anyone should be available to be selected at any time and expected to put in performance. Marin Mielder, I think, is a fantastic example of that. You know, she hadn't played it basically regularly in sort of almost a year for Chelsea, comes in at the end of last season with all of the injuries and puts in some of the most, like, incredible performances that she maybe has ever done in a Chelsea shirt when people thought she was washed against the best attacking team in the world in Barcelona. So. And when Millie Bright was injured as well, it was like a real well, yeah, patch exactly. together, like that that whole back line. That's was... the point. That's the demand of the squad. Um, and it's not always going to work. Um, you are going to get, you know, teams looking disjointed as a result. But also sometimes that happens. You know, I've watched Chelsea teams who play together all the time and you're just like, wow, you're all like, it looks like you've never met each other before. So I think having that incentive for players to show up and play well is a very, very strong motivating factor, even though, Jesus Christ, Johanna Ritten, Canarid, Ashley Neville took her home in her pocket. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I mean, we, we could talk about it all day, but that was just a, an interesting one for me. But the depth is the depth. We have to talk about the Stamford Bridge attendance. Now, Arsenal are going to take home the WSL attendance trophy for the season. So we and all... I congratulate them. And congr- on that. congratulations! It's the most important trophy of the year. And don't worry, you've already got it. So there's no chance you can be knocked out of that competition. It's yours. <laughs> but I want to talk about that attendance at Stamford Bridge, just under fifteen thousand, because I think it is a bit surprising and disappointing. I think you have to factor in the fact that there are. Still some bad vibes around Chelsea Football Club. The men's team are not doing well. There are frustrations around that. There's been some boos at 
you know, some of the, the men's games and there's been some disappointing performances. There's also a whole new cast of characters and I think it's hard to build the relationships with players when you've got people that you're just getting to know and you uh, you know you haven't built that awareness and that relationship with them um, and I think the women's team are suffering as a result but I do think when you look at the two clubs and the fact that Kings Meadow has been such a successful ground for Chelsea they've easily sell out season tickets for many years they get very strong attendances and have way before Arsenal were selling out Boreham Wood I just really surprised at the lack of crossover and I don't know, Jesse. I don't, as a, obviously, as like a Chelsea fan and Chelsea expert, what do you think is is going on with that? Yeah, I think it's a complicated thing. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say it's not like disappointing. Obviously, you know, I think it's one of those very hard things to talk about because if you're a Chelsea women's fan who goes to like games all the time, the last thing you kind of want to hear is like people taking the piss about it. But I understand why people want to take the piss about it. I think it's almost frustrating when you look at Chelsea fans who aren't showing up and kind of then you get into the question of okay why is that obviously you've touched on the realities of the the men's team at the moment I do think that does feel like a factor I also think you know something Arsenal fans have done really well is creating a variety of different fan groups maybe to bring in different demographics of people and I think they've obviously worked really hard to build the atmosphere at Meadow Park and I feel like that's obviously then rolled into sort of the Emirates as well. Ticket prices is something that like will understandably come up although I will say the kind of reported figure on Twitter at £50 a ticket wasn't the way all of Stamford Bridge was sold but they have gone up a lot more. It is more expensive than going to watch Arsenal at the Emirates. Ultimately in my opinion you're not getting a 40,000 fan drop off simply by the fact that you're charging five pounds more. Like, there's, I think there's other stuff going on. I mean, obviously, Chelsea couldn't get the ground's not big enough to hold 54,000, but you get what I'm saying. I definitely think it's more to do with an engagement in the club as a whole at the moment. And that's a shame, you know. I don't know. Maybe it's something that we see change over the season. I do think that. The club have done a lot, especially around Stamford Bridge, because, you know, for me, that's been what's clear about the Emirates is like lots of people who are going to the Emirates now are people who go to the Emirates regularly. You know, it's not okay. Obviously, you still got families and kids and blah, blah, blah. And obviously you get them at men's games as well. Um, It's felt much more like a mixed crowd. And actually, I will say at Chelsea yesterday, it felt more mixed. But yeah, you know, there have been bigger crowds at much more recent Chelsea games at, at Stamford Bridge. And, you know, Chelsea were kind of slow on the uptake in terms of putting games there. They wanted to prioritise Kings Meadow, which I think makes sense. They've clearly changed direction on that now and they want to prioritise playing Stamford Bridge. And, and maybe it just takes some time to to catch up and maybe it needs the men to create a little bit of a better vibe to just get people wanting to go and watch Chelsea. Because I think that, to me, would be the key, you know, the key factor the big difference on that, obviously, is Barcelona, the team you look to, and when their men's team was shit, everyone wanted to go and watch the women's team. But it's a very, very different fan culture there. Yeah, true. And I think the clubs as well are, are slightly different in sort of their pool and, and their narrative in the way that, yeah, the way that football exists in, in their culture, like you say. And I think I think if Reese James had been able to play more football recently and there'd been that kind of obvious collective sort of star power and pull, I think that would have helped. I think that's such an opportunity and it's just obviously not possible because he's had such bad luck with injuries. And I think um, 
I think there are probably more opportunities that Chelsea can tap into on that side beyond the joint kit shoots and putting posters up and and all that brand awareness. It's like maybe there's actually a way to collectively build the narratives, which I think Arsenal have done really well to kind of make it an appealing place and an appealing sort of like collective club journey to be a part of. And it really helps when your team are winning. Chelsea women are very good at doing that. And Chelsea men have really struggled this season. And like the last few years have been so chaotic. Can I just say, though, they had a DJ in the West End concourse. I think it was Baller FC DJ. Was it? Yeah. Well, it was going off. So, (laughs) And that's the real quiz. If you haven't (laughs) been to Stamford Bridge yet, wow, get along. Because they were playing non-stop gay hits when padam i got to Sanford bridge by five o'clock i got my pint padam padam played i was like welcome jesse your entrance music the du- like, like the wsl WSA. the wsl has finally begun i know there'd already been a number of games but it was when padam padam went off that i was like i'm ready yeah and maybe when we look at the venn diagram and the demographic maybe there are just more and actually this is probably true there's probably just more 20 to 30 year old gay women in north slash east london to go to the emirates and there is in like certainly around west london where i grew up and southwest so sometimes it's hard if the demographic's not there <laughs> but really it's the southeast london gays that are going to arsenal that should be going to chelsea so that's the one i'm like secure the bag you gotta you gotta get those guys yeah it's not easy maybe the djs are the answer the you dj know. is the also answer. another shout out got mischarged for my pint so I got a £3.95 pint at Stamford Bridge cheapest pint in London I reckon <laughs> wow huge yeah great day so you know there were some there were some positives out. about the, the lack of fans in the hey, building listen it took me half an hour to get into the Emirates I was saying I'm glad that when I get to Stamford Bridge no one is there so I can get my pint and I can get into the ground quickly and isn't it ultimately about me being happy <laughs> it is I mean, in many ways um, another game we've got to talk about Manchester United beating Aston Villa late at the death, 2-1. Rachel Williams, stoppage time winner. Um, a lot of people have asked us about this game because there were a few controversial moments, shall we say. It was one that really delivered my demand for the season, which was, please, can we have more yellow cards and please, can they come earlier in games? We got that. But at the same time, there were a few like interesting referee calls. But the one that loads of people have asked us about is Maya Letizia's block on Ebony Salmon, which was outside the box. Should have been a free kick. Ref didn't see it slash, like, it ended up being a drop ball, I think, for Manchester United. Uh, Maya Letizia didn't get booked. I disagree with, I think, Carla Ward wanted a red card and a lot of fans. I don't think it's a red card mm. at all. I think it's a yellow card. I think it's a free kick uh, for Aston Villa. But there were a lot of talking points in this game. Obviously, Kirsty Hansen gets sent off, which I... I think, I think that was a red I think card. that's a red. I think you see it as a yellow a lot of times in games, but I do think that's a red. So actually, I think on in many ways... Like, she didn't really have any complaints either, did she? No, she did it. She did like, you know, a big apology. But I do think, I think Carlo was disappointed with that and disappointed with the refereeing overall in the game. And uh, I just think it felt, it felt like a very sort of classic Manchester United performance in, in those sparks we saw from last season where like, weren't playing amazingly. I think um, there were some moments in, in which they kind of like looked good, but I thought kind of in around the box, they were a little bit sort of like 
stale um, and they've still got new players that they're trying to blend into things. But they do still have like such a collective belief and energy going late into games. And like, who would have thought it after the players that Manchester United brought in that Rachel Williams would be the one getting the winner at the death? Maybe Um, Arsenal should have put a world record bid in for Rachel Williams. (laughs) Maybe that maybe that was it all along. Um, but what did you make of the first sign of this, well, not only new look Manchester United team in many ways, but also an Aston Villa team that were very highly rated and you know, a lot of people thinking that they were going to break into top three, top four this season? First thing I'm going to say, I have not been very hot on Aston Villa, mainly because Rachel Daly had the biggest expected goals over performance in WSL history last season. And I have thought, surely she can't do it again. Uh, but I will say her finish in this game was Brilliant. immense. So I'm like... feeling concerned. I'm feeling concerned, but I'm going to trust the numbers. Well, we're going to keep believe... this receipt. We're going to clip it up. <laughs> I believe that Rachel Daly isn't a Leo Messi level of finisher. I'm going to stick with that one still. Um, but she, what was so good about this is she was so off balance and she yeah, had to recover. She nearly she connected over. with it really well. Can't teach that. That it's was just... great. I was I was intrigued by this Aston Villa midfield, but I will also give credit to Lucy Parker, who I thought looked very good playing even higher up the pitch and she, not, she did, was, was so, at West Ham. She was so comfortable on the ball. She was just running with it for days. By the time she's on to her next move, she'll probably be a striker. Um, <laughs> so I actually thought that worked better than it, it was going to when I sort of looked at it on paper. I still thought Villa struggled to really kind of create connection further up the pitch. And I do think maybe that right wing spot with Alicia Lehman was something they could have looked to upgrade a bit more. And I think Leon looked uh, they look better when Leon came yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know if long-term Leon is actually an upgrade. So Villa, I thought it was I thought it was a good performance. I think they were obviously like, it's frustrating to get that red card. And if that doesn't happen, obviously you're, you're potentially looking at a different game. I thought, you know, defensively, it felt like the stress kind of got to them um, in terms of both goals that they conceded. Because they had been playing so well, like they were so robust defensively, so organised, yeah. and they didn't look like anything was going to break through. And then obviously, as soon as you lose a player, it's like your shape is just like, there's so much panic yeah. uh, about how you contain the game. Yeah, but I also think, you know, it is something that United have, have done really well. And actually, like we talked a lot about how... Skinner has had this very settled side that obviously got disrupted by the departures, but, you know, something that he has kind of seemed to work on is this very trendy, you know, sort of you have your finishers who come on and sort of last year it was um, Lucia Garcia was kind of in that role a lot of the time and this game we sort of saw it switched um, and, you know, Nikita Paris comes on, obviously Lucia Garcia does score, but Nikita Paris, when she came on, I thought she looked really, really good. Um, Rachel Williams has done this sort of multiple times. Um, She's obviously feeling confident about it. I thought in terms of like, actually before all of the drama happened, I thought JC had some good moments. I thought she looked lively, if not like super, super dangerous. But yeah, I think it's it's a good win for United. Ultimately, in my opinion, Villa and United probably aren't at dissimilar levels in terms of teams who I think are good but like aren't title challengers. So you expect them to win when they're playing against 10 players for, you know, what, 15 minutes or so. So, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's, again, it's that opening day thing. Like you, I don't want to read too much into like a new look United or a sort of semi-new look Aston Villa when it's a game between two teams who I think are naturally going to be quite close. 
Yeah, and there was something of, the, uh, of a Martha Thomas about Jay-Z's performance as well. I liked the intensity. I liked the work rate. I thought, you know... She... <laughs> the Brazilian Martha Thomas? Yeah, is that what that's what I'm calling her. <laughs> uh, I think everyone needs a, everyone needs a Martha, Martha Thomas. Aston Villa's Martha Thomas is Kirsty Hansen, but you live by the sword, <laughs> you die by the sword, because that intensity, it can come for you in the end. And that's like Katie McCabe's had that in her career. Anyway, we've been chatting for ages, but one more thing before we go. A new counterpressed segment that I'm calling counterpress complaints. And right. every week we're going to pick something that annoyed us from the weekend. And I want listeners to send in their bits. Jack has said, when will goal like technology be in pledge of the WSL? I mean, yesterday, obviously Chelsea ended up scoring that follow-up yeah, to that I goal. I don't really but... mind about that one. I mean, I will say I could tell it was over the line. Well, also, um... gold like technology is different to me because it is completely objective. I don't want VAR in the WSL because our refs aren't good enough to even use VAR. So let's make the refs good first and then then think about VAR. Goal-like technology is so easy. It's so simple. EFL grounds have it anyway. So like we can make that happen. Goal-like technology, I think, you know, surely we've got to get, get that soon. But obviously it didn't really matter in the end for that goal. But Jack, that's your counter-press complaints <laughs> for the week. I actually have two complaints. First one, queues at the Emirates. Bag check queues. It's chaos. Please, can they get more staff to do the bag checks and the pat downs? And can please, can people just like not be so slow and baffled at the prospect of like queuing? I know like there's kids and I don't have kids, so I don't know. Having kids is annoying when you just go out for a day out. It's like the, it's like a mission. It's like a pilgrimage. But at the same time, it just it takes so long to get into the ground for a women's game at the Emirates. Way longer than a men's game, even though there's fewer people. So... Can we just sort that out? And then my second complaint is Jen Beattie, player of the match. I mean, who else? I mean, Come I don't know on. who they were going to give it to. Anyway. Who would you have given it to? Given it's got to be an Arsenal player. I would probably give it to my girl, Chloe Lacasse, but... Chloe Lacasse, she didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, but she's my fave. I'd have given it to Lena Hurtick, to be honest. Um, <laughs> for a 10-minute spell. <laughs> I thought she was their best player. Uh, I don't know. My I think my main counterpress complaint for this week will be that as much as I've praised the DJs in the West Stand concourse... I saw brass bands in London were booked and busy yesterday because I saw one at the Emirates and one at Stamford Bridge. Oh, I missed the one at the Emirates. But for me, that's not for me. That makes me feel like I've gone to Disneyland. That's, and there's a time and a place for Disneyland and that's it's not, not the energy I want. Also, at the WSL. just annoying. I mean, it didn't matter at Stamford Bridge, obviously, because no one was there. Um, but at the Emirates, <laughs> then you've got like all these people in this big crowd and you're just trying to get through and it's already taken oh, you a million years. Oh, they were like years. outside the ground. No, 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 they were inside. Oh, they were inside. Oh, in the concourse? Yeah. What? Is this a new trend? I hate no, it. I don't know. Make it stop. Yeah. Wow. I, it wasn't. It's not for me. Sorry if you like brass bands. No offence to the brass bands themselves. I get that it's like kind of a fun like atmosphere building thing. But yeah, it was giving Disneyland. Um, Millie on Twitter as well forgot to say Freedom Arnhem's body slam into the ref. We have to just mention that because that was iconic. Iconic. Obsessed. So good. What is it with Arsenal and body slams? What is it with Arsenal and just iconic, memeable TikTok moments? That's why they get the fans, Jesse. Chelsea need to do more silly stuff to get trending on TikTok to get fans in. To be fair, we've got the most iconic body check of all time. 
Sam, Sam Power and the Pitch Invader. That should be enough to get people you in think the that's building. What we should just be project. We should project that onto like play it on repeat. Yeah, onto like the Houses that. of Parliament or something. Project Sam Kerr body slam onto the shard. That is how. That's how you sell that. You get people bridge. in. There yeah. we go. That's the blueprint. Flo, you should be our new head of marketing. marketing. <laughs> uh, anyway, great episode. Great to chat. We'll obviously back on Thursday for another Thursday counterpress edition. So we'll see you all then. Bye.